Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. And today we're going to talk about love that makes all things new. The big idea for this message is this. Though we, uh, through the resurrection of Jesus, God makes all things new. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to make all things new? Why does it matter for us in the here and now? Well, I, have, I brought a friend today. Um, how many people know that, there's, uh, that kids attach themselves to a particular toy, a sleeping friend? Um, and uh, my kids have their own special things. I was going to bring mine up, but mine was a diaper like a cloth diaper, and it's, <laughs> his name was Bobby, and it was, my mom used to put it under my head, because if I'd spit up on the, you know, it would go on the body, she could clean, the, but I attached myself to this, this, this diaper, and I used to silk the edges until I was like 25, and, uh, and now it's like this big, and like, looks like somebody tea dyed it, right? So I took one of my other siblings because it has a little bit more, it's a little more attractive, kind of. Um, but we know that children attach themselves to a, a toy that they love, right? And so let's take a scenario that really happened. One of my siblings, all right, you know him, his name's Ryan, um, comes to church every once in a while. Uh, this, was, this was his Winnie. And uh, one day, you could see Winnie was very loved. You could see the, the beads inside of him. But there's a special particular thing on his face that is grotesque. Because what happened is this loving thing that he loved so much got a little loved by the dog. And Winnie got his face ripped off, pretty much. And so there's two options there. Winnie gets his face ripped off. There's two options. You can go buy a new Winnie, but what does that child prefer? That the old Winnie is made new, right? There's something special about this, that it's not about having something to cuddle with at night. It's about the thing. I I don't know what it is, but we do this, right? So, Winnie's going to be distracting, so I'm going to put him back over here. But you get the idea. We don't want, we don't always want brand spanking new. We just want what we love to be made, to be renewed, to be fixed. So you, so you stitch his face up and you put him back in the kid's bed, right? We live in, this, in this, uh, the most remarkable time in human history. Like, whoa, whoa, what was that? Was that a little bit of positivity? I haven't heard that recently. We live in the most remarkable time in human history. Think, you might get romantic about past time periods, but actually given the the choice to go back in time and have to live there the rest of your life, you probably wouldn't do it. They had this thing called smallpox, not fun. You know, um, so we live in the most 
amazing time in human history. Despite what, we, what the news wants you to think, we are amazingly blessed. We have international travel. Think about that. Back just, a, just like five minutes ago, people didn't travel more than like 50 miles from their house in their entire life. International travel. Worldwide telecommunications. It's phenomenal. It's incredible. Medical and surgical breakthroughs. People are not dying from smallpox right now. We have split the atom and landed on the moon. We live in remarkable times. But you could take all these amazing things and break them. You can break them. International travel. I have to say two numbers to you and you'll understand. 9-11. Internet abuses and a media obsession. Take something like Facebook. It was supposed to be this opportunity for people to just like, hey, I haven't seen you since high school. What you up to? And it's become like militarized and negative. Instead of curing diseases, sometimes we create new ones. You can use, you can split the atom to give power or you can create a bomb. And in fact, the same implement it took to get to the moon is what they launch at other countries, ICBMs. It's broken. It's phenomenal, but it's bro it can be broken. How a child looks at its favorite bedtime stuffy is how we are when we look at the world around us. If we're honest, we don't actually want some other world in some faraway place. We want this world, this life, but fixed. We want our loved ones, but alive with an imperishable kind of life. We want our relationships without the pain and the hurt of brokenness. Yet here we are, surrounded by the things that we have, that have fallen apart. We don't want all new things. We want all things to be made new. We don't want all new things. We want all things to be made new. Lord, I ask you to be in this study today, God. Lord, I pray today that we would understand that you are in the business of making things new. God, I pray for a spirit of appreciation, thankfulness, and positivity in this place today. We are so blessed. God, help us to not let the world drag us down, but Lord, to be a, an agent to lift it up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we can explore what the Bible says about the desire to deep, uh, deepen our hearts, we need to explore one more thing, the brokenness in the world. We see it in big things like systems and structures. 
We see it up close, deep inside our own hearts. There is a sickness in us, something that has inflicted us with selfishness, greed, pride, and lust. And there is something that keeps tipping even the very best of our circumstances and systems and structures toward injustice and oppression and ineffectiveness. Our world has no vocabulary for this. In fact, our world seems to be a bit stunned by it. Like, huh? Why is that happening? Huh, interesting. Shouldn't we have progressed past this by now, people will say? You know, they said that back in the early 1900s. Things were going great. I mean, the economy was popping. Everything was going well. And uh, they, they thought they were at the pinnacle of human existence. Then there was this little thing called World War I. And people are asking themselves, haven't we progressed past this by now? What is the deal? It seems to be a thing. I mean, and then, and then, they, then they got past World War I. It was miserable, awful, destructive, sick experience for the whole world. And they called it the Great War. And the war to end all wars. Now we have gotten past this. We've progressed. We've purged ourselves from the things that caused destruction. And then 21 years later, we had World War II. Crazy. Crazy. Our own generation experienced similar things about around the event of 9-11. Who was, who was alive when, when 9-11 happened in this room? I mean, look around. There's, a few, there's quite a few people who weren't. You know? No, I'm serious. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day about 9-11. They're like, they're like, what was that like? I'm like, you, that's right, you're a baby. But there's a lot of people. I mean, it's, we're coming up on the 21st anniversary of 9-11. So if you're 19, you weren't alive. That's, that's crazy. We, we experienced that around that. We seemed that the world was beginning to settle, right, into a new global reality. The economy was booming. Nations were cooperating, uh, and all seemed well until planes were hijacked and crashed into a building. How could this be? Haven't we gotten past this by now? The world may have no vocabulary for this, but the church does. We have stopped using the word or words like sin and evil. You can't call something evil these days. That, oh, you can't, we'll get into it later. If we live in a society that has adopted a Nietzsche philosophy of moral relativism, right? Frederick Nietzsche was quoted by saying this, you have your way. And I have my way. As for the right way, it does not exist. So you get people like Oprah saying, live your truth. That's a Nietzschean way of looking at things. From this statement flows the underpinning of their modern secular thought on ethics. No person has the answer 
as to what is actually right or wrong. And everyone is entitled to have their own truth with no objective standard to look toward. If moral relativism is right, think about it. If moral relativism is true, then what Hitler did during the Holocaust was just a matter of opinion. He was living his truth. Oof. This is, of course, absurd. Because no one is a moral relativist when they are the victim. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Walk up to a moral relativist and punch him in the face. Just punch, just sock him. Lay him out. And he's immediately going to go, you can't do that. Why? Why not? I'm just living my truth. Bam. I mean, you get the idea. I mean, moral relativism says that there's no objective truth. It's ridiculous. It's, it, it doesn't work in a practical world. This doesn't work that way. Don't go punching people. Okay? This is on the web. I'm not encouraging people to go around punching other people and living their truth. I'm not, okay. We're going to get to that part next. Some of the great struggles we have today in our society are undermined by secular Nietzschean views of moral relativism. All life should be sacred. That's what the Bible says. Where do we get that from? We've had, we've had a large, a uh, full year of understanding that black lives matter. They do. But where do you get that from? It's an interesting question. Where does that come from? It's a good question. It's not going to come from a Darwinian secular understanding. Because in a Darwin, we could just genocide anybody we want to. Survival of the fittest, right? We're just living our truth. Under moral relativism, it is fine for me to be a raging racist as long as my racist views don't conflict with your life. Right? No! It's awful! I don't even care if you never do anything that is racist. If you have those, that's awful. It's sinful. It's wrong objectively because the Bible says it's wrong, period. But if we don't have an objective truth that we go off of, if we don't understand what's right, that there is a right and there is a wrong, then all of this falls apart. It's evil. It's good. There's good and there's evil. And there's a thing out there called sin, period. Sometimes I don't even want to talk about this stuff because I'm like the whitest white guy in the world. I'm basically translucent if you look close. I'm just saying. Sometimes I don't even like to touch these issues, but I'm telling you folks. All right, stop, stop. The media is your enemy, period. They are trying to divide us. They're telling you that you should or you are hated or should hate, period. It should never be that way. Knock it off. 
We live in a society that has problems. It's broken. Why? Because you're broken, I'm broken, people are broken. That is, to, to just say we have a problem is not good enough. The solution is that we need to find what truth and good is. Not subjectively, but objectively. But don't buy this lie that the world is, that, that everything is awful. We live in an amazing world. We are so blessed as Americans, and we are better together than we are divided, and they know that. Sin has infected the human heart. And we want to know, what will God do about this? Does God offer us all new things, or can God really make all things new? Last week, we talked about Paul, one of the early church planters, describing the, witnesses, uh, describing the witness of the resurrection and why it matters that Jesus was really, truly raised from the dead. Because the resurrection... It changes everything. There you go. Good. Guys, you're finally catching on. Death itself had been defeated. A new beginning is possible. And you can get in on that through no merit of your own. As Paul continues his letter to the Corinthians, he begins to give us a fuller picture of what our hope as Christians really is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here we go. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. From this perishable body must put on imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable, these are big words I'm trying to say, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I was giving my, my, my youngest daughter a bath last night. And... Uh, she said some funny things. She's like, um, Daddy, you think Grandpa has had a conversation with Adam and Eve yet? Because that's what my teacher said. Said that he can talk to Adam and Eve. I'm like, maybe. I don't know. Good question. Listen to this. It's an, eternity is in the human heart. Even babes know. That this is not, there's something broken and there's, there's something more out there. So cute. That's something like you guys are talking about. So maybe it's helpful to understand what the, the hope of Christianity is not. You ready? The hope of Christianity is not compensation. It's not compensation. We are not waiting for God to make it up to us. Not his he didn't do it by giving us mansions and streets of gold. Well, he better. If I don't have a mansion and if my streets are silver, we're going to have a talk. I mean, honestly, it, we, we kind of talk about it that way sometimes. God is not going to compensate us for our troubles. God is going to transform our very bodies 
to bodies that cannot perish or die. Christianity, uh, the Christian hope, is not explanation. Paul does not tell the Corinthians that one day God will explain everything. Our hope is not grounded in the notion that one day we will understand everything. Our hope is grounded in the belief that one day everything will be made new. I love the, I love the, the, the arrogance of people who say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a few questions asked. God and I, we're going to have a conversation because I don't understand. I've said this a billion times. I don't know about you, but when I see Jesus, I'm going to be flat on my face being like, I'm, you know, like, unworthy. You know, I'm just going to be completely, I just can't imagine. I'm not going to be, like, grilling him. Like, what's with the cancer thing, God? What's, what happened with all that? No! That's not how it works. It's very, we could be very arrogant. He doesn't owe us an explanation. Christian hope is not evacuation. We forget that this because of the way we talk about heaven. I'll fly away, oh glory. Come on. I'll... No, don't sing. I don't like that song. <laughs> Woo! Like God's going to hit like, the, the, the red button and we're all, you know. It's not how it works. Listen, we talk about it this way. Heaven is a wonderful place where we find rest in the presence of God. But even heaven for the Christian, was not the focus of the Christian hope. You were not made for heaven. Do you know that? I guarantee when that day comes, God is not, you're not going to get in the line and get your wings and get your harp and get your little, you know, cloud rover. That's not how it works. I mean, we, we have these bad theological images in our minds. That's not how it works. You were not made for heaven. You are terrestrial beings. Heaven is real, but it's not the point. Sometimes we talk about, and here's the thing that, you know, and I, I'm guilty of it too, especially recently. I want to go to heaven and I want to see my grandpa. I want to see, yes, yes, I get that. But here's the thing. Don't you want to see Jesus? To, to spend eternity with God? New Testament scholar and early Christian historian N.T. Wright has famously said, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. Because he's not going to evacuate the Christians to another place. He's going to make this place new, wherein dwells righteousness. If heaven is what we, it has an idea of like, when you die, you go to heaven. If anything, that is a temporary existence. Because when Christ comes back, he's going to make this earth he's going to, all new, and we are going to dwell here forever. You've got to know the, the difference. We're not, we're not going so We were not made for heaven. Angels are made for heaven. We're not made for heaven. We're made for earth. And that's new heavens and new earth. We're going to be made new for us. Imagine for a moment that you have a child. And that child is being bullied at the playground at school. Oh, that just viscerally just drives me crazy, that concept. It's like the worst thing. Imagine 
your child says to the bully. You just wait till my mom or my dad gets here, and you're going to be in trouble. You'll be sorry. And then imagine that you arrive at the playground, and your child comes running over to you, tears in his eyes, telling you about the bully. And the bully's standing right there. And you can say to the child, oh, darling, it's okay. Let's go get some ice cream. As good as ice cream is, that's not what the kid wants. Neither is there, um, neither does, not only does he not want ice cream, he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to be bullied out of the space that he finds joy. So we, we live this way. You see the how t- uh, we talk about heaven sometimes, as if when Jesus comes back, we get out of here. Heaven is like a cosmic ice cream cone consultation prize. But the bully's still rampant. What about the bully? Who would show him his tactics don't work? Who will even... Who will, Whoever stop him, will the playground ever be safe? What we want, what we know we, uh, we want our parents to do is to get out of the car and give that bully a strict warning or more. <laughs> I, everybody in the internet thinks I'm a very violent human being. I am not a violent human being. <laughs> okay get him off the playground and maybe even talk to his parents and then maybe even stay for a little while with your child and play on the newly freed emancipated playground once again safe this was Paul's getting at when he talks about Jesus coming to reign and put everything under his feet The last enemy to be vanquished by this coming reign of Christ is death itself. 1 Corinthians 15. Then then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father to, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Amen. This is what's going to happen. The bully is going to be kicked off the playground. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The Apostle John received a vision of this that fills our hearts with hope. And I want to read it to you. It's a little long. Revelations chapter, right at the end of the book, you notice that? Revelations chapter 21. It says this. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Hallelujah. I am making everything 
new. Jesus will swallow up death in victory, wipe away every tear, and make the heavens and earth new again. He's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. See, we have an attachment to this world. We were made, the world was made for us, and we were made to live in this world. We don't want to get whisked away to a world that we don't love. The great hope of the church is that God is going to someday come down and fix all the cracked and broken pieces of this world. But we were made for this earth, and God said, I'm going to make, he's going to make it the new Eden. That's where we live, and that's what he's going to do. God himself will come down and dwell with us from the location of the new Jerusalem. You see, it's not about getting out of here or going somewhere else. Our hope is about God coming here and restoring and making the world and, the filling, and then filling it with his presence again. This was what creation was created to be, a carrier of his glory. All of creation, including you, were created to be a carrier of his glory. We know this deep inside, and we realize something is broken. Our Winnie has been bitten in the face by the dog. We know it. We feel it. Christian hope is new creation. The great end we're looking for is a kind of, it's kind of like a great Easter day when God will do for the heavens and the earth what he did for Jesus. He will raise him up, raise it up in newness of life. Imagine it, resurrection for the cosmos. A cool idea. Remember Jesus was physically after his resurrection, he was the same but different? He was the same, but yet perfected? Think about that for the cosmos. It's going to be a day, I'm telling you. The strongest way the New Testament could describe, the New Testament writers could describe this was new creation. Today can be the first day of new creation for you. Today can be the day that God starts putting things back together in your life. I know it's easy, and we talked about this, to look out there and see all the wrong with the world. To look at evil and sin as great powers that hold the world and human history in bondage. I would say, if you can even get to that point, you're like far above a lot of people because you're actually now calling things evil and sin. Because <laughs> we don't even want to talk about it. What used to be evil is my truth now. Not good. Okay? But the truth is, they're also, uh, they're also keeping these things, these evil and sin, are not only keeping the society and all the things, they're keeping us in a broken state of bondage as well. The same poison that infects the world infects us. But thank the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a cure. 
His name is Jesus. New creation is here because Jesus went to the cross and took the full weight of evil upon himself. He wasn't just our, uh, it wasn't just our sin that he carried. It was our suffering and our sickness. Jesus drained the poison of the great serpent. He let the enemy strike his worst blow and exhaust his forces on him, and he died, literally died. Then the Father raised Jesus up in victory. Hallelujah. The resurrection is the great triumph over sin, death, evil itself. Jesus, I mean, excuse me, Easter doesn't mean new creation one day for the whole world. It also means new creation now for you, for me. I think that, see, to me that's encouraging. I don't know. That I don't have to live under the oppression of sin and evil in this world. And someday we're going to go to wherever God has us. And, you know, the streets are going to be made of gold. Lincoln the other day, he's asked me, he's like, Dad, why do the streets have to be gold? I thought God didn't care about money. That, that, that's, I mean, it was like, you know, it, was, it was a good statement. It wasn't like, he's like, I don't care if heaven's made of gold. I mean, I, and I said, I said, yeah, I said, but it's beautiful. And God's going to use the most beautiful things that he's created to make your streets out of. Because that's who he is. I told him, do you know that the, 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 the gates to the city of the New Jerusalem will be, made out of a, will be carved out of a single pearl? That's a big pearl. I would not want to see the oyster that made that. Is it oysters or is it clams? I don't even know. Anyway. uh, But that's what God is. I mean, someday we're going to do that. Someday we're going to do that. But you don't have to live under the tyranny of evil, sin, and the devil until then. You don't have to let the media, society, create your narrative. You can allow yourself to love, to have peace, to have joy, to, oh my gosh, to enjoy the world that God has given you rather than to always be negative and and seeing how it's bad. We got to flip the script, folks. Let's start living from this script rather than the world script. I mean, I'm serious. We we focus on heaven too much as a church sometimes, and we, we, we neglect the here and now. We have been set free. Today, the victory is ours today. We have to live in it because it's so easy to fall back into the other thing. When Paul wrote his follow-up letter to the Corinthians, he drove home how personal and powerful the good news of the resurrection really is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation right now. Don't have to wait don't have to be evacuated. He can be a new creation now in the name of Jesus. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Not is coming, has come. When Jesus was on the earth, what did he say to them? Where the present, where Jesus walked around the earth, his, number, his, only, his only sermon was this, the kingdom of God is among you, is here. Why was the kingdom of God 
here because the king was here. Where the presence of the Lord is. There's a whole new realm of reality. We gotta, but we're so easily sucked in to the other thing. When we should be living in the kingdom of God. Here and now, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. The new has come. You can experience, I can experience new creation now by letting Jesus set you right from the inside out. You can be made new. Resurrection can bring new life today. Maybe it's unforgiveness. I'm just going to give you a, a short list here, but fill in your name. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe you're holding a grudge against somebody or somebody's. Maybe it's bitterness. Toxic. Bitterness is toxic. It'll kill you. Cynicism. That's a tough one for me. Cynicism. Maybe you're just a cynic all the time. You can't find any joy because you're always looking around the corner for what's, you know, the boogeyman. Prejudice. I'm going to say it. It exists. It's evil. Defeatism. Oh, I've seen, oh my gosh. Have you known Christians? I mean, gosh. I've known so many Christians who their first word is can't. And it's, it's ridiculous. They're living in a world that has been ma- they've been made new in Jesus Christ, and their first word is can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. I could, I could never do that. <laughs> I can do all things. Not this guy. This guy lives naturally lives in a world of can't. Right? But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I live in a new kingdom. I live under a new king, and he has empowered me to live a life in this realm that is a life of victory. So defeatism is a terrible thing. Maybe you're walking through this world as if God didn't claim victory. Today is the day when you can begin to live in optimism. Oh, folks, we need a little optimism. I'm so tired of the pessimistic, negative world we live in. You know what I said earlier? I said, if you could go back in time and live in another culture or another time, you probably wouldn't. We are always, but we always go back to like, back in the day. Well, here, let me give you a back in the day that I would enjoy. Back in the day, we got our news two hours a night. So you'd get maybe a half, maybe 20 minutes of international news. You'd get about 30 minutes of national news, and you'd get, you know, local news. And, and then you'd get, like, 16 versions of the weather. Like, they just chop up the whole news cycle with, like, the weather man. He's like, oh, I'm on again? Okay. Still going to snow. You know? Uh, <laughs> but the idea, I mean, we got our news one chunk at night. And if, guess what? If you missed it because you were doing something cool with your family, you just got it tomorrow. 
telling you now, every single tragedy that is ever is, is occurring around the world is fed into our homes 24 hours a day on a, on, on a cyclical uh, narrative that makes us feel like the whole world is falling apart. Our community has grown from being living in Enfield, Windsor, up in 91 Corridor, to being like member of the community of the, of the whole country and the world. I'm tired of the grisly details of something that happened in California yesterday. Not that it's not important, but I don't need all that negativity in my life. So it's time to shut it off and plug in to something better. You know, live in a world where we can actually have some optimism. The greatest optimistic, optimist in the world was Jesus Christ. Because he said, I'm not going to leave it the way it is. I'm going to make it new. So we need some, all that to say, we need some optimism. <laughs> we need some forgiveness. We need some forgiveness. We need some hope. And we need what the scriptures say, the greatest of these is love. I'm not that guy who would sing along with, with the Beatles who sang, all you need is love. I don't believe with that. I don't believe that's all you need, but I think it's, it's, the Bible says the greatest thing is love. There's a lot of other things that go into it, but. And we need confidence that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me. I live in a new kingdom. I have a new king. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. If we as a church would live that, we would start to make a difference. But because we have been so washed over by the culture that we live in, that we don't look much different than the world because we're saying the same things, we're thinking the same things, we're dwelling on the same things, and we are, what's the word to look for? Overwhelmed by the same things, we don't look much different. We've got to stop. We've got to realize who Jesus is. We've got to realize that the resurrection changes everything and that we live in a new kingdom where all things are being made new today. I'm done. Would you stand? I just want to pray today over you in a way that says, like, let's live it. If there's anything in your life that you feel like, man, you need, you need to be restored, you need to be fixed, I'm going to pray over you today. You, th- you keep that thing in your mind and ask God to make it new in your life. Lord, thank you for this time we have together. Lord, I pray that you would make New Life Church one of the most optimistic, hope-filled, love-filled churches in the world. Lord, that we would not be underneath the tyranny of sin, evil, and the devil's narrative. Lord, that we would be a people of hope, of truth, objective truth, of compassion. Lord, that we would be optimistic and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only will you make all things new, but you are making things new. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the kingdom of God has come. Lord, I ask you today to be with my brothers and sisters wherever they're at. Lord, lift their spirits. Help them to shake off this, this uh, pessimism that is drowning our culture. Help us to love people with a love that is from you. 
Lord, we don't have to agree with everybody. I love it. In fact, we learn so much when we don't agree. We're just willing to love, spend time. Lord, I pray that your same heart that would exist in Christ Jesus would be in us. And Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here. When we're down, we can lean on one another. Lord, help us always be uplifting one another and never tear each other down. And help us by living the life that you've given to us to be a beacon to the world around us. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, who was bodily raised from the dead and conquered sin and death forever. In his name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.